This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. of gaming i'm drew dixon i'm the chief content nerd at love thy nerd and i'm joined by chris Weldon. hey chris hey what's happening i'm chris i'm the chief executive nerd and this is humans of gaming where you know we get to have all kinds of people on here to hear about who they are as people what they've contributed to the games industry whether video games board games and yeah we just get to have really open and honest conversations with them and it's always very enlightening and we get to learn a lot about not only these people, but sometimes ourselves as well. So thank you guys for being here and hopefully you get to learn something today too. Yeah, definitely. Here's a question that I feel like we should ask people more often, especially board game designers who come on this show. But I'd be curious what you think because we've talked to a lot of them with me before. Mm -hmm. Do you think most of them are trying to make a career out of making board games? Hmm. I mean, I think in their heart of hearts or in their ideal scenario, yes. Like if they could just close yeah. their eyes and open them and all their wildest dreams be imagined, yes. But what I have consistently heard from many designers and people in the industry is that there is no money in designing games. <laughs> the money is yeah. in publishing. Yep. Um, that's what I've heard pretty consistently. And a lot of the designers throughout. we have on this show end up doing that you know creating their own publishing yeah. houses essentially for, for for board games yeah um i mean that's that's kind of jamie stagmeyer i think is one of the i think personally one of the most impressive board game designers alive today but he would tell you the same thing you know yeah um and that's, that's kind of what he did you know like that's he, what he's done yeah, yeah. with stonemeyer for sure yeah um, I bring that up because we have a uh, successful, I think, and very skilled board game designer on today, Kirk Dennison, who uh, who started Peacekeeper Games. Mm -hmm. um, they've done Rurik, and before that, uh, Gearwork, Gearworks, and before that, Flag Dash, which is like a card game version of Capture the Flag. Mm -hmm. um, but I think Rurik is probably his, is definitely his most like successful game in terms of its reception and. Um, yep. Like it's hard, hard to get a copy of that game. It's been well reviewed, but anyway, like uh, I just love that he was really honest with us in this podcast mm -hmm. about like, um, yeah, I'm not going to ever do this as a job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so like, this is one of those episodes yeah. where I think we get to burst people's bubble a little bit. Uh, it's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I don't want to burst anyone's bubble completely because I'm like, you know, I want to believe that whole like thing that we were all sold that you can do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Um, That's so stupid. Or whatever. <laughs> yes, but it is really dumb. I, I currently agree. do what I love and it still sometimes feels like work. It's so, really hard. Spoiler yeah. alert, kids. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, it was really, it's, I, I think it's good for us to have like a healthy balance of optimism and realism. And I yep. think, you know, Kirk helped certainly shed some light on that stuff of just how much work it really is to support a family. I mean, you know, he's got a wife and kids and, you know, to not only like support their house and team, but also, 
be able to pursue, you know, pursue a passion of his, which yep. is making board games and just the balance and struggle that that can be. Um, it's good to know what you're getting into. You know, you can't just wake up and fart out some games and make a bunch of money, you know? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't work I mean, out. I've done that a couple of times, but they weren't <laughs> great games. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and there's another thing that we talk about towards the end-ish of this that I want to tease out, and that's that we talk a bit about this whole thing that's going around these days of like deconstruction, because mm-hmm. um, Kirk talks about a time when he he uh, struggled with his faith pretty mm-hmm. significantly. And so uh, uh, anyway, I just think that's an important thing for us to talk about these days because yeah, um, yeah there are people that are struggling with what they believe. And yeah. there are some people that are going so far as to leave the faith. And I just always like think, man, if they just, how might that be? How might that story be a little bit different or less painful if they just had people in their lives who are like, Hey man, you can mm-hmm. talk to me about it and I won't judge you. Or yeah. you can talk to me about it and I won't tell you you're not a Christian anymore. Um, and you can't be in the club anymore or whatever. Right. Um, so, Questions anyway. are not scary gang. Yeah. Questions yeah. are not scary. And if there's anything I hope uh, that we gain from doing this show where we do ask questions is is that, that questions aren't scary. And hopefully we can show to you, dear listener, <laughs> that you can talk to people that are different than you and think differently than you and look yeah. and act differently than you. And you can ask questions mm-hmm. and the answers don't have to be scary. Yeah. I and mean, it's possible that you're in a faith, faith community. Um, that feels like you can't talk about stuff or can't ask hard questions. Um, and I just want to say, if that's you, like there are people out there, like, you know, um, Mm -hmm. there are, and they're not all atheists or something, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like there are people out there. You can ask me questions anytime. Chris at love that nerd.com. Yeah. There are people out there who love Jesus who aren't afraid to like help you. And just, I mean, even if you just want to vent, um, yeah, hit me up too, Drew at lovelineer.com. Uh, but without further ado, uh, here's our talk with a very, like the designer of one of your very favorite games. Dude, Rurik is one of my favorite games. It is a yeah. blast. Which may be why we had him on the show. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I contained myself to a point and then the floodgates opened and then we moved on. Hey, Kirk, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Drew? <laughs> I feel like you... I'm doing great. I feel like you're uh, you're being... Uh, things could go be going better for you, I think. That was the total like Midwest or American, American Well, I'm, I'm comparing things yeah. to yesterday and the day before and the week before and the two weeks before. So in a comparative there sense, I'm, I'm doing... Well, I'm doing better than better than Cheers. recent times. So. so we're looking at you right now, and you're laid up after knee surgery. Bless your heart for having your video on right now for us. Uh, yeah, man, you're you're living the dream there. I'm living the yeah, dream. Yeah, while while your wife and daughter are in the hospital, right? Or at the hospital, yeah, I have two twin daughters, girls, right? Twins that are daughters, in the hospital. Yes. They've been there for the last ten weeks. They came. They decided they wanted to come into the world a lot sooner than we were expecting them to. And that's been a fun journey of living in the hospital and at home for a couple, several months. Mm. 
Plus, yeah. we have two we have two kids at home too, which complicates things. Oh dang, I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought these were your first. But did the hospital give you like a bogo? Because you were already there. Like for the girls, they give you like a buy one get one free on the knee surgery. Not exactly, but mm. if you know how insurance works, it's mostly free. So yeah, you yeah, got to pay your. Yeah. Our insurance plan is such that you pay copays for visits. So every yeah. time I go for therapy, it's a nominal charge. But yes, all things considered, it's a blessing it happened this year compared to next year because. Next year we would have had to pay the full price, not exactly, yeah. but it would have yeah. gone yeah. towards our deductible. Whereas I feel like we've blown out our deductible yeah. this year already. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, what you said is basically true when you have things like what you've had happen Major, this year. Yeah. Like it's it's basically free once you've paid them a lot of money, right? <laughs> you know. So at yeah. this point, I'm just gonna you know get a third arm and a tail yeah, and all those extra them. accessory upgrades. Have them fix everything else in there while they're at it. Bionic arm. Yeah. Uh, so, another brain hemisphere. Kirk, I, I can barely contain myself because I really want to talk about a really cool game that I love. But before we get to that, can you just kind of frame for everybody why we're talking to you? Why are you on a podcast called Humans of Gaming? What are you doing in the gaming space? How'd you get into that? Sure. Tell everybody. The main reason I'm on the podcast is because I am a human. If I were an elf or a dwarf, I don't think he would have invited me. So, that's But true. right now, my beard does lend itself more towards a dwarf than a human, so that's, I guess, debatable. <laughs> I've been in the gaming space. Let's clarify my gaming life, I guess. As a kid, I decided games were fun. Played lots of video games at an early clip. As early as I had video games back at Super Nintendo and how old are you are you like 30s i'm 31 okay so about the same age played enough to where my parents gave me restrictions on how much i could play video games i was completely addicted to video games between middle school and 10th grade where i basically stay up most nights playing video games and computer what games was, uh, what was your jam back then oh i played madden 2000 the michael vick year for madden was okay i played a ton of that yeah Played some uh, JRPGs like Golden Sun, some MMORPGs that were online. Actually, really didn't qualify. It's more like a multi mass multiplayer tank game called Battlefield back in the day. I don't know if anyone ever played that 2D. Mm. That game was super addictive. And anything and everything, just everything game related. But I really didn't sleep very much. My parents kept asking me, why, do you, why are you so tired when you go to school in the morning? And it's hard. So to, they didn't know. I mean, they knew, but they, did, they knew I played a lot, but they didn't know how much. I mean, as an adult now, I... It's like a, you look back at it, it is what it is. You, you did the thing and my grades weren't terrible. Hey, you're, yeah, you're fine. You made it. Look, look but, at you now. But then after 10th grade, I applied myself a little bit more to activities and didn't do as many video games. And so video games kind of disappeared, but board games filled that space. My dad ended up finding it interesting to play board games in middle school as well. So I was playing video game, or board games with my family in seventh grade and on. And then I, I played more later in high school, but all along I also played CCGs too. And I used to travel around the country to play a card game called Redemption, which was like a Christian version of Magic the Gathering. I actually placed at multiple national tournaments for that, which is pretty fun. All right. That was a big enough deal to have national tournaments, huh? I mean, you're talking 120 120 people that show up. But, I mean, still, I was was the person that showed up with the combo deck where, if you're familiar with combo decks and CCGs, once you get set, your opponent can't win no matter what they do once you get all your pieces in place. It's not like a traditional... 
aggro deck or anything. So, so you were a lot of fun to play against as well. People hated playing against me. <laughs> I mean, the main thing is because they knew they would either win and it wouldn't be very fun for them because they're just trying to discard the card from your hand or your deck that you need that you can't yeah. get back easily or at all. Or once it goes off, then you have that massive turn where you're basically taking 15 minutes to get the lock in place and then you walk in for the rest of the points. So yeah, super not very fun for people, but the most fun was building the deck ahead of time, which actually transitioned itself really nicely into making board games because it's the game before the game. It's you're mm. working all these pieces and this elaborate strategy of your deck composition and your odds and things. That Theory make... crafting. Yes. So I, I didn't know I was going to make board games all the way back then, but uh, making playing that game, I, I played it even up until early in my marriage. I got married and my wife didn't realize how my addictive personality lent itself to games and I'd stay up <laughs> late at night building decks online and playing people. And she's like, this isn't going to work because I was just <laughs> spending way too much time with this. And I was like, Hey, you don't understand. Yeah. I'm spending like 50% of the time on this but that also, I used to. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, it's the Christian version. Yeah, it's the Christian though. version. That's right. <laughs> but when I looked at it, I was like, okay, bachelor life, I spent X hours and I'm spending yeah, X yeah, divided yeah. by two. Now, what are you talking about? She should be thanking you. She How should be. dare she? <laughs> no, dare but it's, she? I mean, I'm curious, like, like, uh, what made it the Christian, like the Christian version of, you said it's sort of the Christian version of magic, the gathering. So was it like angels versus demons? Yeah, or? kind of, uh, the reason it was a Christian, I mean, every card had a Bible verse on it, but the concept of the game was not to kill people. It was to rescue lost souls. And every mm. player, actually, oh, this is wow. kind of interesting is that every player played offense and defense. So you had a slew okay. of heroes and evil characters. So you gotta be, you gotta have your, your Satan angels and uh, like the demons and your Goliaths that you could block your opponents, Michael, the archangel and Abraham, you know, and you, you could play both sides, which is kind of interesting. Whereas most games like magic, your creatures are both offense and defense. So it's kind of a different uh, model where you have specifically offensive and specifically defensive characters and you got artifacts and instants and stuff like that. The game really wasn't very good when it was first created back in 95. Yes, it was created in 95. It was very, it's been around for a long time. And then it yeah. got a lot better. Pretty cool game. I haven't played it in a long time. I don't think I played it since 2012 or 20, something like that. But so that was did way back play, in the past. Did you play Magic the Gathering or did you go, or was that like outlawed in your home and so you had to play this one? I don't think it was outlawed. It was not just some, it was not a, it wasn't front of mind. There was one time I did have an experience with magic that was kind of creepy, but I think it was the people that were playing it were dabbling in some other things potentially. <laughs> and okay, so it sure. just added yeah. to this thing of like, this did not feel right at that person's house. And I had that kind of pressure, but every other time I've experienced magic, I never experienced that. So I'm pretty sure it was just, I mean, you could do anything like you could go to a party, for example, and people are clean cut, and they're using things responsibly. You can also go to a party where people are abusing drugs in the other room and you don't know it. But if you walk into the room where people are doing it, then you get that bad feeling and you're like, uh, now I'm not going to go to parties again (laughs) because of it. No, but that's not the reason why. So no, it was more of like a, a positive affirmation to do a thing. And it was cool enough by itself. So, I mean, the artwork was actually really awesome. Some of it was from like comic books too and stuff and historic religious art. So it wasn't dumb yeah. or anything. If it was a dumb game, I probably would have sought out other alternatives. I actually looked at Yu-Gi-Oh, for example, and I was like, that game looks pretty dumb. Pokemon <laughs> was cool. And I did dabble a little bit. Well, in we just lost uh, 50% of our listener base, our <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh fans. And, and it's just later. different art style. Like It's all preferences. <laughs> yeah. Pokemon yeah, looks yeah. cool. I mean, I played Pokemon Blue and Red and stuff, but it, 
for whatever reason, I didn't like playing the card game. I can grab you, huh? But I, I, I love playing the games. I mean, that was all I did in Driver's Ed in high school was playing Pokemon Blue, you know? Drugs, <laughs> That's funny. So I have a history of gaming. So, Came back to... Yeah. Went to college and kind of forgot about gaming for a couple years while I tried to just do a different mode of life of social was that activities. Was that like a... Because deli- it sounds... You mentioned earlier the, some addictive aspects of your of your personality... So was that college decision where you kind of stepped away from games for a while, like a deliberate thing where you acknowledged that aspect about you and felt like you needed to take a break or how I think it was just new life experiences and dealing with some depression and other issues Mm -hmm. personally that I didn't know how to deal with. And part of that meant like just trying different things. And so that Mm -hmm. meant busying myself doing activities like playing rugby and singing choir and, um, do all the intramurals possible and things like that. And then, maybe that's why your knees messed up. That, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, I did tear it. I tore it 11 years ago from rugby in college, my junior uh, year. Oh, yep. Yep, mm. yep. But, anyways, that, then I think it was maybe my sophomore year in college, I found playing board games uh, again. So it's always been kind of waves. And then after I graduated college, I had a busy travel job and had to put games on hold for a little bit. Then I, I met my wife we got married and i started playing games again i discontinued the ccg because that didn't work as well for her well the main thing was it wasn't something she was interested so it was a solo activity Mm. and then i kept trying all these board games and there were a lot of sacrificial lambs i'd play a board game like this game is awesome my wife didn't like it now she grew up what's an example they weren't necessarily all that great if i look back at them honestly there was one called infiltration that's a pretty cool game actually if you ever played it before by donald x Mm. vaccarino the creator of dominion that it's a, okay. it's, a it's a push your luck game. You try to go in and steal as much as you can get and get out before you lose. And the, yeah. there's like a threat level. And if the threat level gets above a certain amount, like the security of the building, then everyone loses. And so it's mm. actually really funny that everyone can lose. And probably everyone loses at least a third of the time. It's really funny because <laughs> uh, everyone's too greedy. You're trying to you know, pocket too yeah, much yeah, yeah. loot. Yeah. Anyway, so they're a game like that that just didn't register. Whatever. I was trying different things that I thought. I was just guessing. She grew up playing cribbage and other things. And, she hadn't been experienced to strategy games where I'd been playing Carcassonne and Settlers and CCGs for um, 12 years before I met her. So, like, I had a big leg mm-hmm. up on it. So I've been playing, you know, a whole subculture of games already. So, but then, finally, randomly, and it doesn't make sense why she liked it, but Dominion was a hit for her. And oh. we then started playing Dominion. That's the case with uh, my wife and my parents. Oh, yeah. Like, that's, that's the my one, My wife man. and I started playing yep. Dominion with some friends somehow. We got really into it and introduced it to my parents. My parents like went out and bought all the expansions no and stuff. They like they actually have now <laughs> they have more expansions than I do. Actually, they have all of them. I, there's still a couple I don't have. I, I'm a pretty big Dominion fan too. It's, Love that game. it's fun. It's it and part, a big part of it's like it's the game that like you you know that caught on with people around me. So it's like hey yeah let's play the game you guys like yeah yeah, uh, yeah. if it get, oh, yeah. if it gets you to the table like let's let's play it you know. So that was our evening jam. We'd uh, she'd come home. I'd come home from work. She'd come home. She was in physical therapy school at the time, and we'd play Dominion over lunch or dinner. And I sleeved them all. Now I'm a, I'm pretty OCD when it comes to protecting cards, so I had them all sleeved. And if we um, got too much food on a sleeve, I'd throw it away and put a new sleeve on the card mid game. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that was the only way we would play. Uh, it you could just eat them. and then play. You don't have to do it at the same time. Well, see, I, we got more game time in that way. We could play uh, two games. Would, no, all right. So it was maximizing things. You would, uh, yep. You'd be so. Uh, it would. It would make you so uncomfortable to play Dominion with me because I eat with like, and have. <laughs> 
Well, no, not that. I no, I do draw the line there. Like when I have people over, if they were like, if they were eating Cheetos and then playing with my cards, it'd be like, uh, could you wash your hands, please? Okay. I draw the line there. That's but, good to know. Uh, but I don't, I don't sleeve anything, and I because I like the feel. I just like the feel of like cards outside of the sleeves. I like to be oh, able sure. to like shuffle them easier and. Anyway, no, I get you. The, I, the, yeah. the reason I did it though was because we played it so much and we didn't sleeve it. And then the wear showed yeah. on the back of the estates and the coppers. Uh-huh. And I couldn't, my wife could do it. I couldn't see a card coming and consciously make the best decision because I knew that it was a terrible card. So it, I was like, I don't want to be clouded by having special information I'm not supposed to have. Mm. So I needed yeah, to for my sense. own sake. Whereas my wife would be like, just don't look at it. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I'm like highly attentive when I play games and I can't not see a card you show me. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we played a ton of Dominion. We must have played the game 150 times. And I'm not exaggerating. I recorded those plays. And then we eventually moved on to other things, which is fine. And then we started having kids and we don't play games anywhere near as much as we do. But we have a, a good size game collection and a dedicated gaming room but that's gaming and i probably talked too long about non me making board games but i've been in one way shape or form playing games for a very long time nice and then how did that transition you alluded to this a little bit but how did that transition to you making games sure who do you make games for what games have you made so i just decided one day in 2015 that there were no good capture the flag board games. Basically Stratego is all you got. And I love Stratego. Don't get me wrong. And I'm pretty interested in that game, but it's not accessible for a lot of people. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make a capture the flag board game. Now backdrop to that is I only ever met one person who had ever made any game of any sort. So it wasn't like I knew anything about the subculture of making board games or even what you do. Mm. It was just, Hey, I'm going to do it. So yeah. <laughs> the next day, and I'm not kidding, the next day, I cut up some pieces of paper to make a, a deck of cards for that this game concept I had. I grabbed a blockus board, or blocus, however you pronounce that game, yeah, yeah. which works pretty well for prototyping in hindsight, that it's a, a grid with small enough pieces that you can put pieces on it. And I took a bunch of a D6s from, I had a whole big stack of D6 dices that fit perfectly inside of these little slots. So they work well for obstacles or anything basically they it was mm-hmm. almost like they were designed to be together and driving to parents-in-law's house for a weekend thing i was making up the first iteration of rules to a game on the fly mm-hmm. in my lap on an That's hour funny. and 10 minute car i'm not making this up it's just super funny it's like what was i doing I mean, it's all in right away it's like i'm doing this thing and then i got back and within a week i took a friend of mine who like played board games i'm like hey you got to try this out i made a game and so he was did the first play test with me on this block board and we quickly iterated from there. So anyways, the first game was called Flag Dash. It was called something different beforehand, but Flag Dash is what yeah. it ended up being called. It's a capture flag game. Think if you were to take Robo Rally, if you know that game, mm-hmm. and remove the luck and drop it to 30 minutes. That's Flag Dash. Oh, and it just, so there's... The funny thing is sometimes people would debate with me. they say, this is a luck game. And I said, do you call rock, paper, scissors luck? And they would never know how to answer that question because there is no luck in the game. There's a zero luck game, but it's an out-guessing game. You play cards secretly face down and you're locking two moves in at a time. So if your first move does not work, your second move is probably not going to help you much. But if your first move does work, then your second move is probably still going to be a valid thing. So almost like if you also think about playing... If you're familiar with Robo you plan five moves in advance. Or yeah, Some yeah, people yeah. compare it to Cold Express, but that's really chaotic. Um, and what I mean by chaotic is you don't plan moves in there you just flip cards from your deck 
Uh, whereas in RoboWow, you get cards locked in and everyone's laughing because you're spinning left all the time when you don't want to. <laughs> and it's funny, but that is a runaway leader problem. I, I love Robo Rally, but it it can be frustrating for the person who got eliminated. It's kind of like Risk, that they can't play longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I made that game. I hired an artist I went to college with. What was that... Uh... What was that first play? You said you, you had a friend. You're like, hey, come play this. What was that first play test like? Like how? He was trying to help me make how, rules on the uh, fly. And he was kind of challenging yeah. me like, well, why can't you do it that way? And it's like, well, because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's interesting because like you hear people. I, we talked to a good number of board game designers. We have a lot of video game designers on this podcast too. But um, about how different a game is by the time you finally launch it versus how it started. And, and also just how much iteration there is in board gaming of like how much it was just, you know, everybody's different, but I was just curious of like, you know, it's your first time making a game. Was it like, Mm -hmm. I guess it was good enough that you're like, Oh, I'm going to keep, keep working at this. Yeah. the, The receptions were mixed to start with. It actually stayed very true to its initial design. The main changes besides cosmetics were adding a secondary win condition. The primary win condition, if you could picture it and capture the flag, is you get the main flag your opponent's got and take it back to your territory. I think most kids have played capture the flag, at least in our generation, where you find that cloth tied in a tree, someone's defending it, but if you can get it and run with it and get it back, you win. But I added a secondary win condition because it would drag out too long sometimes was to add kind of a flag football component. And that was my first real gem of realizing that when you're developing a game that there are the feedback that people will tell you isn't doesn't tell you what you need to do, but it tells you there's a problem. And the problem was that in some game states, it would take too long and people just felt like they couldn't find a way to end the thing. And at that mm. point, you, you lose people's attention. So everyone likes whatever games they like, but if you were to double the game length of any game you like, how many people do you lose? you probably start to drop off the attention. Like most games have a sweet spot for the, that's the perfect length for the game. And so some games, yeah. if they're hilarious and silly, that's fine if it doesn't take you three hours to play it. But once you munchkin, for example, I mean, that's a perfect example in my mind oh, of gosh, that, that game. Goes, like if you, if you could guarantee munchkin will last 40 minutes, I'm in. But yeah, in my yeah, experience, yeah. it trends towards two hours. And I'm and like, hits that right. stalemate at the end. Yeah. 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 No one can advance to level 10. This is something I've been reflecting on lately because, you know, one of my favorite games, one of my favorite board games is Twilight Imperium. <laughs> and oftentimes people, I have this like meme reputation in our community of like, you know, man, if the game is not more than four hours, Chris is not interested. And I came to this realization. I came to this realization. I don't like games because they're long. I don't. I like things about them that make them tend to take longer. The reason Twilight Imperium takes so long is all the politicking. It's all the negotiating, all the, you know, talking back and forth and all that stuff that makes that game take two or three hours longer than it should. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I hear what you're saying about like, how, how do we like almost distill this down into the shortest possible thing and still get the experience out of it that you want to get out of it? Like, I think that's great. I mean, you even see that happening today with, I don't know if you like sports, but baseball has, they've decided the people running baseball, that baseball is too long and that people are getting bored with it with the current length. And so they keep implementing rule changes and things to make the game faster. It's only, it's only taken them over a hundred years to figure that out, I guess. No, but it, it is super interesting <laughs> though, but like the attention span of the average person goes down oh, every yeah, year yeah, because yeah. thank yeah, you, yeah, TikTok yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yep. 
but it's, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, you see that in website design, reduce the number of clicks to get the thing done and mobile app games about, I mean, the dopamine that goes to your head, you know, the high only lasts for so long and man, we are so addicted to screens and everything, but I digress. So that game, where was I going with that? We had a secondary win condition that made it so you could pursue something that gives you partial progress. Like instead of it being a, get the thing across the finish line, I pick up a colored flag from all three of your people. I win and I can get them any point throughout the game. But the game stayed pretty close to its initial intent. It ended up landing, this is years down the road, as a 6.2 on BGG, which, whether you think that's good or not, I'd say it's pretty solid for a first design when you don't know what you're doing. And The fact that you made a game and released it is a win. Like, you did it. Congrats. Yeah, I want to say to people who would, like, give you crap over that rating on BGG to, like, hey, you come they back when you've a made game. a game. Yeah. Go make a game. You know? Yeah, actually, I'll read an email. So I, it's not relevant at all anymore, meaning that no one plays Flag Dash anymore these days. But I got an email out of the blue, and this game is about for a long time. I've never met this person. My family, I got this literally last Sunday. My family and I just discovered the joy of Flag Dash. We love it. My son's Aww. birthday is coming up, and I saw you had a deluxe upgrade expansion. Is there any way to obtain it still? You just love stuff like that. It's like, man, that just warms Dude, your heart. That yeah, For man. all those BGG yeah. whatever poo-pooers, it's like, you know what? For the people that love the game, it's the great game for them. And yeah, that was right. fun. So we that's did that. Cool, what uh, a did, cool email. Did that get published or did you self-publish? I self-published it. I, for a hot moment, I was looking to see if anyone published it and realized that, you know what, whatever. I got time. And any game that someone else picks up, it's going to change substantially. I have my vision. I'm just going to do it. So then I yeah, yeah. spent all my uh, toilet hours reading how to publish a board game on the internet and <laughs> uh, figured it out in short order. I kickstarted it in spring of 2016, okay. delivered it in August of 2016. And then we quickly sold out our thousand unit print run and randomly licensed it to a big company, Ultra Pro, and they reproduced it and made 10,000 units of it. Now, they, there were some things there. They didn't end up doing much marketing for it. it, it not that it would have necessarily done amazing things. Ultra but, Pro, they do like sleeves and stuff? Yeah, they, they started a games line. They, yeah, Ultra Pro produced it. Actually, ah. it was pretty cool. The Welcome to Ultra Pro bundle was awesome. I got some incredibly sweet swag from ultra pro so when they're whining and dining me to sign my game and republish it which is not very common to get a game signed by another company after you produce it the common logic is companies don't usually want that they took me to their booth and they're like have whatever you want i'm not even making this up they literally said have whatever you want and i looked around and said, this is me of a lifetime of buying ultra products i think they're right are great. I, I don't think they knew who they were dealing with there so, man like so i was like oh man like push my luck game here so i was like <laughs> how many things are too many things so of course i got like the metal weighted dice that are totally unnecessary that they're in like a special magnetic snap case and it's like a 30 dollars oh, set of dice that is, i never use yeah. them it's, it's literally sitting on my computer because i think it's a sweet like just a cool memento of that and um some expensive deck boxes that i never would have bought that are satin and stuff because i usually bought all the cheaper ones but anyways Cool. So they produced that, and then I th- had a thought of, hey, I made one game. Why don't we make another one? That was pretty easy. <laughs> In short order, we must have scrapped five game ideas within a matter of three months that none of them ended up being any fun. And then I think I, the reality hit me of, you don't usually just stumble upon an idea that's workable. And some of those ideas, maybe I'll eventually come back to them, because I think the general game conceit is interesting in my mind. But it took us mm. forever to figure out another game. And then that one, once we figured out, it was called Gearworks. We just... When you say us, who do My you wife mean? and I. Us. 
Um, okay, she would be so, more of a. So she helped you with she, Flag Dash? She did. She helped me with all of it. Now, we didn't have kids before Flag oh. Dash was initiated, but we had our first son a few weeks before fulfillment for Flag Dash started. So Flag Dash technically was our first kid. Uh, yes, Emily. Flag Dash was, got her before our. Uh, I'm okay because it's debatable. U.S. fulfillment started after Wyatt was born. But, anyways, I, I digress. It's kind of a funny thing. So life changes when you have kids, but when you don't have kids, you have all the free time in the world hence making board games but anyways the next game we started working on was i was just doing a little bit of this and that with it's funny i don't know if either you've ever heard this story before but sometimes you just move pieces around at a table and something feels pretty satisfying about it and mm. there was just something about some sort of card placement puzzles if you were to think about something like a sudoku or something of this can go here but not there and i tried to this i tried to that within a span of two weeks i gone from nothing to what was 90% of what Gearworks became, which Gearworks is basically steampunk meets Sudoku, but it's got a grid, 5 by 4 grid, with numeric restrictions on one way, color restrictions on the other way. So what I mean, for example, is if someone's already played a 3 in one of the rows, you either go higher or lower in the different directions. And if someone's mm. already played a blue in a column, no other blues can be played in that column. And it's yeah, a bit yeah. of a hot potato game. You uh, play a card and then you twist a it's an area control game. It's abstracted where the last person to play in each row and column gets a thing. And then you use those things, the parts to build steampunk contraptions. Anyways, that game worked really well from the beginning and it stayed super true to the initial design. So we went through a bunch of designs that didn't work and then just had a game like overnight. And so we came up with that game and I think February or March of 2017. And I had it on Kickstarter in what was that before Thanksgiving that year? It was like October or something. It was just like a really fast like turnaround less than time. A year. Actually, no, I was, it was April. I came up with the game idea in April. So I got it on Kickstarter within six months of the initial game design, which is just unheard wow. of. That game has since landed at 6.9 on BGG. And I'm really proud of that game. I think it's awesome. The whole package look and feel for steampunk. That subculture was super fun to dig into for art inspiration. Oh and yeah, yeah. Art direction. I mean, some people are much better at sewing their own clothes and building contraptions. Kudos to them. I mean, <laughs> I, I just found some really sweet architecture. And I got hooked yeah. up with a great graphic designer for that project. Yoma. It looks great, man. Like, I was just looking it up on BGG and, like, pictures and stuff. And it's just... I mean, steampunk is already, like, a cool vibe. But, yeah, this just looks, looks really good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I also liked... So it's five suits, one through nine. And so if you make other games that just need numbers and suits, I think it's a really sweet looking deck of cards. So we've, um, mm. I've made my own Lost Cities deck with extras of the cards there. Mm -hmm. And I, I love cool. Lost Cities, but frankly, that aesthetic yeah, is you. so boring for me in Lost <laughs> yes. Cities. So I, yeah. I play it all the time with my Gearworks cards and I'm like jazzed every time I play with it because Dude, I love the aesthetic. What a mashup. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> but I mean, I love traditional card games. And so you just, sometimes the art can distract you from playing. Like I like Parade. Yeah. That's a good game, for example. And that artwork works really well in that game. So there's just, sometimes it just amplifies it and sometimes it distracts in my opinion. 
What's up, nerd? You digging this podcast? Well, the audio enjoyment doesn't end there. Visit LTNOnAir.com and make LTN Radio your new go-to for the best Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie, as well as our exclusive LTN shows and podcasts, some of which air on the station before they're available anywhere else. Visit LTNOnAir.com to listen now and find the link to our app. Now back to the show. All right, we need to we need to talk about Rurik because guys, uh, listen, that, I've been really waiting so patiently. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can okay. cut all this junk that I can't. No, before. no, no, no. I this has all been the build up. The tension has been rising. <laughs> We're getting to it the is. climax here. So let's talk about Rurik and how this came about. So Rurik is a seven point eight on BGG. That's the ten that's the climax that's, there. But <laughs> that's that's <laughs> the score to beat. That brings so, everyone to the yard. So the thing Draw is, the right around the time that I just came up with Gearworks, right around that same time, I played a game of a friend, designer, Stan Kordonsky, and I told him that that game was a little bit too big for what I was looking to publish. I don't mm. work in my own designs. That game has since been published called Lockup. Maybe you've played Lockup before, Role Player mm. Tale. It's actually a really good game. So this is really funny. I told him that Lockup was too big of a game for me to publish. And then a few weeks later, I see another event. It was like a couple months later, and I played what became Rurik. I felt and this game is a lot more than Lockup. Lockup's a cool game. There's nothing against the game. It's just scale of project. Rurik is at least three times as big of a project as Lockup was. But mm. I love this game, and I was like, I'm gonna make. This what did you game. What did you love about it? Like from <laughs> seeing that first prototype, or like what were the things that stood out to you? The worker auction was incredible so if you haven't played the game we coined the term auction programming not action auction programming there's actually play this is like flag dash on steroids and that's what also appealed to me from it that i don't mm. get into flag dash too much more but the core mechanic of flag dash which was a, a pretty innovative twist if i do so some of my stuff i came up with <laughs> involved actions that you weighted with the numbers that you wanted to play almost think the raptor where your numbers are the later numbers give you more things, but if you, you don't know if they're going to happen in the right order because if yeah, somebody yeah, goes yeah. before you, you get hosed. Anyways, same thing is true in work, though, from a perspective of you get more of a thing or you can go first, but you can't get both usually unless you pay a bribe. And so you've got a, a number of actions you can take and you're trying to allocate, pre-plan them in a way, and your opponents only have a partial view of what plan you're trying to get at. So I, I just love that. Open information. There's very little hidden information in the game, mm. but you're trying to show when you are going to commit to things publicly, and you don't have to do them, but the opportunity cost is you do them or nothing. And that I could not get that out of my head. So I called Stan up and I said, "Hey, could I help you play play test your game?" <laughs> Didn't want to commit to publishing it because he knew I told him Lockup was too big of a game. And I play tested that thing seven times in a week which is mm. a lot. And everyone I played it with, I don't know if they liked it as much as I did, but every play I kept falling more and more in love with that. And I called him back and told him I wanted to publish it. And he's like, wait, you're kidding me, right? And that's <laughs> not exactly what he said. There was actually another publisher, a legit publisher, huh, that was very interested in the game and wanted to sign it. And I swooped in and convinced him that I Let's was the person go. that should publish it instead of this established publisher. And Who I think was it? Are you allowed to say I don't think I should say the name okay, of it, right. but you could probably, I wouldn't uh, say it, we'll just, it, it. It rhymes with <laughs> Antisemite Hames. Fantasy no, Flight. No, not right? that one. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, there, it's interesting. There's, 
it's just more funny. I think it's funny that it, there no, was someone else who's a big player that wanted this, and I came no. in with my energy. I mean, the other company probably has tons of projects, and I didn't really have anything, so I was able to be like, yep, I'm going to pour myself into this thing. Yeah. Then we're off to the races. So that was also that was also April of 2017 that I signed that. So I went from having no projects, couldn't figure out a project, to two projects at once, and yeah. I convinced my wife, or bless her, that I – was going to commit 18 months to a ton of time making board games on the side job, making board games, just to see if we could give it a swing at making board games a full-time job. So did you still have a day job at that point? I started a day job. So Flag Death didn't make us really any money. I mean, by the time everything was said and done, even getting royalty checks from Ultra Pro, we barely made anything up. But anyway, yeah. so I, probably, I viewed it like a master's degree. I told her that. I said, it's like an experiential degree here. I'm going to need to spend at least 20 hours a week on this to give it a good go. So I was working like 70 to 85 hour weeks between my day job and making games for... And what was your day job? Healthcare analytics. Oh, okay. So I I jumped in way hard to that. And most nights I was up till 3 a.m. working on stuff, just trying to keep the ball moving and everything. So Rurik, if you're not familiar with that game, so it's it's a, a $90 MSRP. Scythe would be a good comparison as far as the type of components mm. that are in the box miniatures so there's 70 dude some of the best like, production man like i just opening that box is so satisfying because it's just mm, just you. works it just works and okay now i'm just gonna gush a little bit okay because i just gotta get <laughs> on the system like this game came out of absolutely nowhere for me i'm not super dialed into kickstarter because i as you have admitted, I also have an addictive personality. And so it's the same reason I'm never going to go to Vegas. Cause like if I step foot on a casino floor, I'm going to be face down dead in a ditch the next morning. Like I just, yep. I don't want to do it. So I'm not doing Kickstarter. So like we went to Gen Con, we took a team uh, to Gen Con with love thy nerd. And I think you were in touch or somebody was in touch with, I don't know if it was Bubba or Matt or one of our other staff. Yeah. Bubba. Um, and you know, we worked out a thing that we were going to demo Rurik at the convention. And I just kind of heard that, like I wasn't really dialed into it or whatever. And one of the nights we were there and, you know, it was after the show floor closed and so everybody was just kind of chilling out. And one of the guys had a copy of the game and like, oh, do you want to learn this? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. It looks cool. And dude, like I was blown away because it is the exact, it kind of goes back to this time thing for me because it's the kind of game, and this is the kinds of games I love, is that on your turn, it's a very simple sort of thing that you're doing, right? But strategically, there's a lot of depth. So mechanically, at least in my opinion, mechanically, easy to get, easy to understand, easy to know what to do. Strategically, a lot of depth and a lot of paths to victory. And that's what Rurik is to me. Um, it's that's a game that, game. dude, if everybody knows how to play it, you can easily finish it in an hour, hour and a half. Um, and dude, it's just the, again, the, the inserts, the trays, the pieces to it, like the design, the art, like even the setting. Dude, I didn't know freaking clue about that historical setting. Most people <laughs> don't, but like, it's cool. It's just it, everything about it is like, dude, that, that game will live in my collection till the day I die. Well, thank okay, you. I appreciate done. that. <laughs> Yeah, I, you hit the nail on the head, though. What I strive for in making games is 
I don't like the game being complicated because the rules are complicated. I want people to know the rules and not feel frustrated that they don't know how to play. I'd rather them yeah. feel like <laughs> they lost because their opponent played better, not because they forgot three rules. Yep. And yeah. I have I, been. I can really enjoy like this sounds silly or whatever because I'm pretty competitive, but I can really enjoy a loss when I when it's clear afterward, like oh. I probably would have had a chance to win if I had just done X, Y, or Z. Right. I enjoy that because it's like you learned something. Right. Um, Not that you just forgot something. Right. Yeah. Or or you lost because like you just really didn't. That's the most frustrating way to lose <laughs> is when you lose and you feel like you don't know why. You have no clue or or like you don't even really understand the game you just played. <laughs> like you never yeah. really like dialed into it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, so we really focused on streamlining the game a lot in playtesting. We removed exceptions to rules. There really are maybe only two exceptions, period, in the game, and they're they're because they created situations that, in our minds, warranted rules to the level of warranting an exception. But I know a lot of other games that I play them, and I feel like they didn't need that exception. That's fine. They made that decision. But I, some people have even said to a fault, they say, Rurik is too streamlined. I'm like, whatever. That's our whole point. <laughs> yeah. What What does that even mean? No, to, too streamlined. Actually, we, not that I thought that it was going to be this big time thing, but there was a thought that people early on sometimes said, oh, it's kind of like Catan meets Risk. And I said, yes, exactly. That's a great compliment. And if, if people that had played with Catan and played Risk were looking for the next level up, I recommend Rurik 100 times out of 100 to that, yeah. that uh, concept of people because you have a a game with it isn't about war, but you're trying to move troops around and conquer areas. Mm-hmm. You can coexist, and then you're trying to manage your resources. There's no trading, but it has that type of feel to it. And but there's a determined game length compared to Risk that takes eight hours. Yeah, but yeah, that was a quite the experience to produce that game, and been super happy with the end product. And we just produced a second printing of it and an expansion that are just starting to hit backers around the world as of the time of recording this us backers will get it in a couple weeks as well. That's rad. Yeah, man. And like you said earlier too, the thing that stands out for me with Rurik is the auction. Uh, what'd you call it? Auction programming, auction Auction selection. Yeah. That's just such a cool, I've never seen it in another game. Um, I've seen games do those two things separately. I've seen like an auction thing and I've seen like a programming thing, but like the way that it's right. done together and it's just, it's so snappy and like, just, it just works. I, I, I love it. Drew, you haven't played it. Thank you. I could have swore we've played I it. I haven't. Yeah. I don't, I haven't played it. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I know we like, or our team demoed it a bunch, but I just wasn't, I was on like a different, different team when we, when we did that, uh, at Gen oh, Con. Play it, man. Um, and so, yeah, I've never gotten to play it, but it, I you'd mean, like it a lot. you're saying all the things that I like to hear yeah, about like games that I like. Because <laughs> that's like, Scythe, too. Like, really I think big. the yeah. the Scythe comparison is very apt because that's a thing where on your turn, you're doing one thing and it's very clear and simple. But the the strategy behind Scythe, the 400,000 different ways you can win a game of Scythe, like that's the depth of it, you know? Yeah. yeah, I will. So I will draw a line in the sand on the difference between Scythe that I see in, in particular, because there are some people that don't like Scythe because there are more exceptions in the rules for Scythe. Scythe oh, is a 24 yeah. page rule book. Yeah. Rurik is, before you get to solo rules, is only seven pages and oh. it has a lot of images in there. So it's, it's more easy to get. And there's reference yeah. cards that make it fairly straightforward. 
I was pulling Rurik up on Board Game Geek, and I was actually really surprised. I'm curious if you agree with this, that it has the weight at a 3.10 out of 5. I was really surprised that it's at that weight. Like You're it should be it's lower. Higher or low? Yeah, I think it should be lower. Yeah, I, I think what happens is sometimes people will say, and I, I love this complaint of games, it lends itself to analysis paralysis. I just laugh and say, that's just your game group. Yeah. <laughs> I have played the simplest games in the world with people that tend towards analysis paralysis, yeah. and it doesn't matter yeah. what the game is. <laughs> yep, yep, that's true. No, but I I don't see it. It's all kind of subjective. That's true. I see where people are coming from. It's not... Dominant species level, if you're familiar with that game of pre-planning, yeah. oh man, that's a real brain. It works your brain a lot, but it's all, what are you comparing it to? So actually, if I'm saying it's a step up for people from Catan and Risk to that, then it is going to be a 3 out of 10 for them. If they're that's playing true. all the Lacerda games or something, then it's probably more like a 2. Yeah. yeah. What's the, uh, so so now you're doing this full-time? You're doing oh, no. board games? <laughs> no, okay. No, actually, it's hinted at that no we, we tried to make it a goal it, it didn't end up being enough to be replacement income for a family and so then yeah. i spout into a couple year it wasn't a couple year i spouted into a year of depression trying to come to reality with the fact that i couldn't work games full-time and i didn't really like my job and made a career change and thought i was just kind of i don't know what i was into with games and then we had the opportunity to uh, make an expansion for the game and we've made an expansion but actually now with four little kids Games is just making games is going to be a a rear view mirror type of thing. Mm. We don't we don't have any free time to make board games now. So <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm sorry. But oh no, it's nothing to be sorry about. Wonderful. So yeah, four kids, five and under. We the thing is, this sums it up pretty well. When my five year old asks me about once a week to play Rourke, and currently I have to tell him soon, and I have never had the chance to teach a five year old. No, he's kind of young for it. But that's when I don't have the time currently to teach my son how to play the board game that I've made. There's a problem there, and that's the problem is I have too much time committed to finishing making games that I can't even play my own games with my own kids. Mm. So that yep. sums up right there that I need to give them more space and time and love playing games and doing other things with their kids. And maybe down the road we'll make games again, but I'm not. I've not no. signed up for anything. I'm not making any promises to anyone, and I, I am happy with that decision. Well, I think it goes to, I think it speaks to, like we always, I always like to ask these questions because I think a lot of people, they'll hear people come on this podcast and they're like, that's the dream, man. They're just making games full time. <laughs> they're rolling mm-hmm. in it. And you know, their Kickstarter that raised $300,000, they pocketed all of that and they are just living the dream. And so it's, I, we always try to ask those questions because it's like, that's just not, it's not reality, guys. Like so many people it's out there rare are grinding. The like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Grinding. Um, yep. You, yep. if you have a people spouse who realize. works and brings in health insurance, that makes that brings in over twenty thousand dollars of difference for you. But if you are a sole income provider, as I am in my family, that it's a pretty high price tag for a family of six to yeah. Yeah, make it work for us. Yep. Yep, for sure. For sure. I know that feeling. I'm a family of five. And, and, you know, and I think one of the things people don't realize, I mean, if you listen to this show enough, you probably do, but it's just, it's a, it's such a difficult space. Like it's Mm -hmm. just not board gaming is in this sort of renaissance right now and it's growing incredibly in popularity, but it's still nothing like uh, video games in terms of like what, you know, the market for it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And also well, just, just saturated. There's so much more. Uh, there's so much more expensive to produce um, and to print. Like, I mean, your print costs on video games these days are super low because half the time you're not printing anything. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> most of the time you're not printing anything. Um, most people are buying them digitally. But uh, yeah, it's just, just a different world. And it's really, I think it's really difficult to, you know, there's very few, there's, there's like, I think your story is, is pretty common. Actually. There's a lot of people. I think it, this, I'm just trying to dash some people's dreams really by saying this, oh, trying yeah, to crush a few people's dreams. <laughs> just that give up. Give but like, up. We, know, we know some people that have made some really, really cool, awesome, like w- very well received games. Some of them are even quite successful and, and they're not doing that full time. I mean, they, they can't. Yeah. Um, it's, that's just the reality, sadly. That's true. So, and I appreciate people, your like realism. <laughs> you know. Yeah, happy to. It's happy to always dash people's dreams. Mm-hmm. It's better to do that now than later, and when they've made a decision to quit a, a good job, and yeah. <laughs> hard yeah. to get that job back later. Yeah. No, I've um I've shed many tears in the past over it and been stressed over it in the past, but I'm I'm past that now. The reality is. Time no, is this just the pain Time meds talking, though? Yeah. Is this just the pain meds talking? I do have a lot of pain meds over here, but actually, I've, I've kind of lapsed today. I, I should have already taken the next dose, so no, I, this is actually me speaking right now. You're totally lucid. <laughs> totally lucid I'm, for the podcast. I am, but uh, later I'll be a little bit uh, You know, the exception <laughs> is the exception is if you can come up with like a really, a really accessible party game, you know? That's like, true. Uh, just pop culture-y kind of... Yeah, like like yeah. Cards Against Touched Humanity down. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, like uh, Vlad, however you say his name, Vlad Shvatil. Oh, uh, from, oh, yeah, yeah, Vlada from Czechs. Vlada, Vlada. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. He he's made so many cool games. Like cashing I mean, those code back, names, checks all the way to the bank. But yeah, like, but yeah oh, you yeah. know the game that like made him was Code Names, and he came up with that like at a party one time, like he was at a party and was like, Oh, we c- here's a word game we could play. And he kind of came up with it on the spot. And that's the game that's like made, that's actually like made him financially successful, you know? Yeah. I didn't realize that's how he came up with it, but it makes sense. Yeah. There, I will probably always be quote unquote creating games. I mean, the main thing is when you have kids, you always create variants <laughs> to the rules for more complex games to teach it to them. And yeah, the other thing is that when you play games with people and they don't have fun with the game, I will sometimes change the rules mid game to make it a more enjoyable experience for people. So that's just, in my mind, just yeah. life. You're just trying to make oh people gosh, enjoy man. the play experience. All the rules lawyers listening right now just literally jumped out of their skin when you said <laughs> that. I have done that for couples that played games with us before. And I realized that for one of the other couple, it was a miserable experience. And I got the visual buy-in from their partner that, they were okay for a change and my wife is go with the flow and it's like, all right, we'll throw that rule out the window. Like you've been playing the game wrong the whole way because you thought this other game was played. We'll, we'll finish the game that way because it'll make your yeah. experience better than you having wasted all this time. You know? Yeah. yeah I, sure. I used to be all rules lawyer and stuff when I played CCGs, but Oh no, these days it's all about, you got to have fun. Life's too time, stressful. Yeah, just yeah. have fun. Yeah, just I enjoy agree. the game. I mean, yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure that's the point of games. It's just an experience. So where did you, where do you live now? Live in Wisconsin. And where did you grow up there? No, I moved here after college. Okay. Where did you grow up? I've lived in 10 states and I grew up in Maryland and Virginia. Okay. So military family or, or why did you live in 10? Oh, okay. Oh, so it's 
church basically, to church. Basically military family. Kind of thing. Pretty much, except that in the military, you can be honorably discharged, and in churches, you're excommunicated. So. Hey, oh, there's a story <laughs> so there. Excommunicate? Uh, yeah, we have to. So you're PK. No, we got exactly. a PK in our midst here. No, but it's, it's more of a just a joke. But. So what kind of churches did your dad was your dad a pastor of? Mostly Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches, some non-denominational churches. He actually planted a church in 1997. And a funny storybook ending. It's not ending, but currently, a month ago, or it was six weeks ago, whatever it was, he's now the pastor of our current church. He moved to, from Florida to Wisconsin to assume the pastor, senior pastor role at our Evangelical Free Church in Wisconsin. Oh, cool. Wow. So you're like, Is hey, that... guys, my dad... My dad could do this. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it was like. And people looked at me like, okay, you know, and everyone's like, yeah, my family member does that. People just roll their eyes. It doesn't oh, matter yeah, what the thing yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a, you know, it's like, I don't know. I'm just going to name drop something random here. I don't know if Adele has a brother, but could you imagine if Adele's brother just, like, oh, yeah, my sister's a famous singer. And people are like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, bud. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. So grow up. Every Sunday you're in church unless you're deathly sick and you go to all the mm. other activities in between. Did you, what was that like for you? Like, did you, um, I know there's like a lot of, cause obviously you're in church now and stuff. You hooked your dad up with a sweet gig at your current church. Uh, <laughs> so I get a percentage of a salary. It's kind of, uh, nice. that's right. A percentage of the time. But a lot of like, you know, I you think it's a unique, <laughs> yeah, it's a unique experience for a lot of preachers kids. Like it's, it can be tough and a lot of them like have a hard time with it and, yep don't really like kind of want to cut ties with the church, but I guess, did you never do that? Or did you ever have a time where you were like, man, this stinks being the preacher's kid. I'm out. What's your journey been like? Yeah, it's tough. PKs and missionary kids, PK mean pastor kid, MK missionary kids both have this experience of it's you're either in or you're out. And there's, I went to a Christian school and I knew a lot of people that were pastors, kids or missionaries, kids there that they live their wildlife after they got to go, out of their parents' grasp, and there's probably lots of factors in each individual situation, but it unfortunately seems to just breed extremes. And yeah. the reality, I think, is that ministry, when talk about ministry, for those who might not be understanding what I mean on the podcast, working in a generally in a vocational setting of a spiritual nature, there's extra things that play in the background that are often hard to quantify, but they do play mm-hmm. into things and what i mean is there's spiritual warfare and extra stressors and a lot of pressure being put on you internally and externally to perform well in that because you if you look at it from a spiritual perspective people's souls are at stake and so all of a sudden it's not like oh yeah, yeah. somebody's making money at our company there's a lot of extra stress that goes into everything you do and so your mm-hmm. specific question of did i ever abandon the church or give up on it or whatnot i I very lightly alluded to that coming out of high school, going to college, I tried to reinvent myself a bit. I had left a really unfortunate ending to a church that my dad was a pastor at. And I had kind of gone, I think that I didn't make any, really he, bad had a, he had a bad experience. It was a really bad ending church. there. And yeah. I, for lack of better words, let myself go. Now, thankfully I didn't do, a lot of stupid things God protected me from totally ruining my life in a similar set of circumstances. I've known other people who have made a lot of worse choices than I did. The extent of my worst choices were focused on isolation, depression, not talking to anybody, staying up all night, doing anything and everything mindlessly, drinking lots of soda, um, 
busying myself, not trying to make deep friendships, but just busy, 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 not think about anything, just numb the pain. Which can be like, that. that's like, I mean, you say you didn't get into anything really bad, but well, didn't like, get into, uh, that trajectory, that, can, that trajectory can, is really bad if you stay on it, you know? It is bad to stay on it. But meaning like, the, I came out of it before I made decisions that were not irreversible. And the main yeah, yeah. challenges mm-hmm. I had with drinking so much soda is that I go to bed without brushing my teeth because I just said, whatever. And I had tons of cavities in my teeth from a single semester in college that I, 12 years later, still literally pay the price with now starting to get uh, crowns on my teeth and stuff that I can't recover the damage that I did to those teeth. It's just been a waiting game. And yeah, I mean, so yeah, I abused soda. (laughs) (laughs) I should have just destroyed my teeth in a short period of time. Um, but no, I, I distanced myself, and I didn't really want to do much with the church. But I didn't give up on God. He definitely didn't give up on me. I, mm. I conveniently, going to college, just tried a bunch of churches and didn't commit to any of them. And my mom eventually said, you just need to pick a church. It doesn't matter where. Just go somewhere. They need your help. You can plug in and do something there, and you have more familiarity there, and you'll get more out of it if you go somewhere regularly. And I didn't happen until part through my sophomore year that I actually picked somewhere to stay, but that was in the back of my mind and I had no friends because I was choosing to isolate myself and I'd lost friendships from the church fallout from before. So it was a difficult time in life and God really gave me a, a lot of latitude before finally saying, all right, enough of your pity party. Get over yourself and realize there's people who care about you in life and you just need to give them a mm-hmm. chance and I'm willing to be your friend. In fact, I've always been your friend and you just didn't want to deal with me. But he said, I'm your friend and I'm going to show you friendships a little bit at a time. And I prayed for one friendship, my spring of my freshman year in college, because I had no friends. And I, and I, if people who went to college with me heard me say this, yeah, I, I maybe looked like I had friends, but I was just faking it. Cause I just didn't, I was hurting so much inside. I just, I wanted to interact with everybody, but I didn't want to get to know anybody. I didn't want anyone to get to know me. Just the honest truth. And then God brought one friend into my life, my second semester, someone who um, was very intentional with me and sought me out and pursued a friendship. And it was the next year, God brought one more friend and the next year, one more friend. And it was not like I had tons of friends all of a sudden, but I had friendships and I had no friendships prior to that. And it was sweet to see how God was just slowly instilling truths to me and in individual encounters with one person at a time. And then I built upon that in, in those seasons. And the sad thing kind of on the flip side is maybe it's not sad, bittersweet is that those same friends that God brought in for that season, I'm not even on talking terms with a few of them for different reasons or another. And, but that is almost besides the point Like God had them there for that season to pour into me when yeah. I was unlovable and I was not willing to be, I yeah. call it being real. I wasn't willing to tell people that, Hey, I struggle with fill in the blank. I'm depressed. I am angry at a person mm-hmm. who did something to my family and I can't let it go. And I, if I saw the person, I would beat them to a bloody pulp. Like that's what I felt like inside. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't let that go. I didn't give that anger to God and ask for forgiveness. And I needed to forgive that person who wronged my family. And it wasn't until I could utter those words. Yeah, you have friends, yeah. friends who model good behavior and healthy ways mm-hmm. of dealing with stress and conflict. And that was my uh, fallout from church, so to speak. So I was probably relatively out of the church mentally for almost two years 
from a Christmas time of senior year and yeah. at high school to a couple years later. I think that story, your story is really instructive uh, just in the sense that I think like there's, I mean, there, there's the, I think the church in the West anyway, this isn't the case in other parts of the world, but the church in the West right now is really struggling. Um, a lot of people are leaving. Most churches in the Western hemisphere are not growing. And so there's, we're in this place right now where lots of people are like, Rethinking their faith. There's this real popular phrase that everybody's throwing around deconstruction and like, like nobody, I think there's this assumption amongst a lot of Christians that what you need, what, what you need to be able to do for your friends who are quote unquote deconstructing or struggling or like something like that's going on in their lives. What you need to do is know how to answer all their questions and all the things that like all the, we think of it from a theological perspective or something, but I think probably more often than not the thing that's most powerful in people's lives who are going through like shifts or 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 struggles or not wanting to be in the church is like friendship (laughs) you know like that's what we all need like we need people who are gonna be like hey i'm here and i care about you i talk and can speak from personal experience my wife and i both went through sort of a deconstruction three, four years ago. And I would say are still in it at some level for different things. It's, it's a, it's not a, a to B kind of process. Uh, but when we were really in the thick of it, when it was really starting and we were very disoriented and the cognitive dissonance was in full effect, I think you're absolutely right, Drew. Like we had, there were plenty of people that, that wanted to give us all the answers to our questions and things like that. And None of that was helpful or useful. The only thing that was were safe places, safe places to be an absolute disaster, safe places to ask any question. Nothing was off limits, safe places to just exist and be. And, you know, thankfully we found the church that we're part of now and we found some online spaces and different content creators, like places where it was just, it was safe. And so I absolutely agree with you and can say that from experience. Well, I'm yeah. glad you've been able yeah. to come out on the other side, or at least mostly. Oh yeah. I'm perfect now. <laughs> you can tell by that glow on your skin, you know, you get yeah, that perfect did it. and halo comes yeah. out. Yeah. Maybe it's we just those it. hernias. We did it guys. We to get rid of those. We figured it out. So if you need the answers, uh, just email me, Chris at lovelinerd.com. <laughs> Be happy to share with yeah. you. Uh, yeah. No, but yeah, uh, life's just a journey and you can deceive yourself to think that everything's going to remain the same way it's going to remain now for forever for good or for worse and there's so many life factors that change your perspective Mm. on everything so i could factor in more recent learnings from that in a church environment that then you go to a church where you are more plugged in post-college and we were loving it and happy to be there but then high turnover because people are transient in an area and they just go other places. And then all those friendships that you poured into are no longer there. And then that's a gut wrench mm. of now you're restarting with yep. the next flight and all the people you're in Bible study with and all the people you serve with. Mm-hmm. And it feels like an entirely different church. And it's not entirely, but the people you're close to are all gone. And, and that's kind of a deflating way of viewing it. I mean, that's more of a selfish This is what I want out of church view rather than what's God doing with this in the here and, and in the future yeah, yeah. and what, what would I 
what did I learn and what did they learn and what are we equipped for in the next season to come? But every season brings mm-hmm. its own challenges. Yep, definitely. Yeah, and that's, uh, man, I think, I just think, I just wish I could spread that message more, I guess. I don't know how I to do it, but, but you know, uh, one of one of my good friends actually, um, who helps lead Love Thy Nerd, posted on Facebook recently. It was just like, "Hey, what are the questions that you have if you're not a Christian, or if you're like really struggling with your faith and are not sure, you know, or, or like where you're at and stuff?" And um, that's the thing I like wanted to tell <laughs> all the people that were commenting on it. There were all all kinds of questions, but a lot of it was just like kind of what Chris said of like feeling like you couldn't talk about things that you were unsure about or frustrated with it's like yeah i just that's that's the message i want to figure out how to to spread more as like hey um it's okay to have these questions and it's okay to be unsure and um like if like if more churches were just like places where everyone felt like they could they could open up yeah I, i vulnerability i think is what we need more of and i don't know how we how we do that but it's important i think I've been taught that the easiest way to champion that or foster that is to get other people to be vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable yourself, which is true to an extent, but I've been, I've been in Bible studies with people for months and months and months and then where I've been modeling vulnerability and sharing stuff and they're still clammed up. And what you don't realize is (laughs) for some people that the sin they're trapped in, the family situation that's plaguing their mind is just so pressing that it might take them forever to get out of it. Yeah. There's so many factors yeah. at work there, like, hmm. And I fast forward in some of those specific people's lives, and now I know what I know that I didn't know then, and you're like, oh, it makes sense that they still yep. don't want to share. All, yeah, clicks, yeah. all clicks together. Mm, all right, so there's sad. some people I need to call after this. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that's good. What, how long do you typically let these podcasts run for? <laughs> about an hour, so we're, we're getting close here. I do have one more question about kind of your – background and experience and stuff. Sure, and that wasn't meant to cut it uh, off. What, I just knew that it took forever at the beginning and I apologize. No, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no. so I'm guessing I'm guessing like you've spent several years now without your dad being your pastor and now he's back being your pastor again. Yeah, he hasn't <laughs> what's that been like? Like so the, the I mean, you're I've, like more of an adult, I guess. So he came back of course with us in the middle of our girls being in the NICU, which is a real blessing to have my dad and mom close mm. now to Help with that. So it's a different time. I'm I'm more detached from helping at church than normal because I physically don't have hours in the day or right now with my knee surgery, the physical ability to get there to do stuff. So it doesn't feel like it's actually happened yet, but I, I'm much more clued into what other people are doing at church. And that's not necessarily negative. It's just that if you're a pastor, you're talking to everybody in the church. That is your job. They're not, not all your coworkers, but that's kind of what it's like. So I hear the exciting news more regularly about other people at church that I wouldn't hear otherwise. And I hear more about prayer requests from other people. And it's not like it's gossip. It's things that are appropriate to share with other church members, but I just have more visibility of things quickly. And it's funny. And I know that in a heartbeat, they're going to laugh my wife and I with the amount of information that they know about each person in the church, because they're both really, really good at it. And I generally struggle to remember people's names just in all phases of life. And they're really good at remembering people's names. So they're going to lap me on that. They're like, Oh, so-and-so. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a long time since my dad was my pastor since I was a senior in high school. So it's good 
15 years. Yeah. yeah. So learned how to church for longer than I would consciously have been churching. You know, when you're born, you don't really realize what's yeah. going on until a certain age. So it is interesting to come back full swing. And it's sweet, though. I know where he stands theologically. I don't have any qualms with his theological stance, and I agree with practically all of them which is really encouraging them when someone preaches a message that if you know their theology in the backdrop, you're not questioning why they're saying things a certain way and you give more grace to if something comes sure. across like a hot take. I Maybe I don't always do this the right way, but every church I've gone to, I have met with the pastors after a, a choice sermon or two and I've said, hey, just curious, I heard this thing and I don't know what you meant. Can you f- help me understand? I just don't want to put words in your mouth. And in almost all cases i was putting color into it that wasn't there and it was a helpful conversation the pastor at each instance acknowledged that you're right i could have probably worded that in a different way that wouldn't have let room for the imagination to run yeah so it was a helpful conversation each time the pastor said you know i really appreciate you coming to me one-on-one and asking for that but there is a comfort level then if you know what the pastor's thinking <laughs> at a more intimate level because you've mm-hmm. had someone mentor you like my yeah. dad has for years. It, that's real sweet. You know, yeah, you yeah. should have that's done, cool. instead of talking to those pastors one-on-one, is you should have taken to Twitter and just <laughs> absolutely <laughs> roasted them on Twitter. Yeah, just roast them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Next time. Well, you, must... do, you do that with your dad. The next time your dad preaches a sermon that you hate, you just hit him up on Twitter. He just makes jokes yeah. about my mistakes from over the years in front of everybody on the stage. It's fun. Real fun. Perfect. <laughs> well, he must be a decent pastor if you would uh, recommend him to the church you were attending. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, hardly. He's a great yeah. pastor. Really good That's at cool. discipling and encouraging spiritual growth. Yeah. I, I was a pastor for a while, and I but I, I haven't been in, what, six years now? Something like that. Oh, wow. Um, but I wonder... I wonder um, now that my kids are older and stuff, because we had out Evelyn is my oldest. She's 10. So like she was three or so when we left uh, the church that we were at. And I didn't like leave. It was a great church. I didn't leave on bad terms at all. It was, I left in really good terms. It was just a job change for me and things. Um, but, you know, I wonder now, like what they would think about me. If, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like your kids are like, yeah, they they know you yep. really well better than anybody else really and they hide anything they yeah yeah so um anyway but glad to hear it's going well uh yeah anything else you want to like we're, we're kind of out of time here anything you want to i know you said you're kind of taking a break and maybe maybe won't make board games for a long time because of the stage of life you're in which we totally totally get but anything you want to like plug or tell people to look up i know you've got well you've got the expansion for rurik right the expansion for work the Kind of the sad thing about any publicity for it right now is we're sold out of the base game and we have like a handful, literally a handful of copies left for the expansion. And yeah. with the amount of time, it takes a lot of time to even manage just a reprint. I, I can't manage that. So there's other retailers that have purchased copies, but they are hard to get games. So if you were on the fence about buying a copy of Rurik, you should probably secure a copy with your retailer that you can find that has it sooner than later. If you want an expansion, we've got just a few of those. You can buy it from us. Besides that, though, um, I would say that I'll probably still be around to some extent. I do some consulting on the side for a number of game companies. So if you are randomly interested in game consulting help, I've 
I've got my wife's buying that I like consulting. And if I do a couple hours here or there to help people with their projects on a small paid amount, then I feel like I'm making a difference and helping people to avoid mistakes that I've made. And I do consulting yeah. on some different basis for different publishers cool. in the industry. Cool. So where can people find you if they want to reach out on Twitter or best way to website? reach me is my peacekeeper games. email. I'll still keep it running because why not games G A M E S at peacekeeper games. That's a plan words. P I E C E keeper K E E P E R games, plural at.com. So games at peacekeepergames.com. I really don't like Twitter or Instagram. So if you reach me on those platforms, I might not get back to you very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, none of us really like it. No, who even actually the people like? that are well, really invested? <laughs> I don't even like Facebook. I just do it because it's the cost of doing business. People post on there asking for replacement parts. It's like, well, you didn't follow the instructions to go for <laughs> emails. But weird people I not like, following instructions. Hmm. I like posting things on there every now and then, but then I don't like how they make me feel inside. <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, Happy Dude, to thanks, with you. Kirk. This was great. Yeah, Drew and Chris, yeah, it was awesome. Thanks for sharing yeah, for so sure. much and being so open. You're welcome. I'm glad you have enjoyed playing work, Chris and Drew. I, mm, I forgive I you will. in advance for not having played it before. Well, we'll I mean, I'm going to try to have to. I'm gonna have to try and find a copy now because of uh, y'all's description. I'll of it. sell it you mine for three hundred dollars, like Drew. It's a collector's item. <laughs> I thought you said it was never going to leave your collection. That's true. There's a price on everything. <laughs> We just discovered what that price was. <laughs> <laughs>